0: We are in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. We'll go through verse 11. It's found on page 1011 in your Pew Bible. So if you didn't bring a Bible with you today, guess what? You're off the hook. There's a Pew Bible right in front of you. So you can pick it up and follow right along. Um, It's one of the beautiful gifts of the of the Reformation over 500 years ago is that uh, the church no longer holds tight the scripture to where and you have to trust us to what it says you now have the ability to read it for yourself and so we put that in your hands and encourage you to follow along with us Again we're in the gospel of mark chapter 14 verses 1 through 11 and as you turn and you're and you're looking for that scripture uh, something I, that's been brought to my attention and asked of me is is uh, pastor why why are we still going through mark when it's Christmas time don't we get the Christmas story? It, and, and traditionally, you normally would get the Christmas story, but the way that uh, preaching through Mark has lined up, it's lined up in such a beautiful way that uh, the closer we get to the birth of Jesus in the gospel of Mark is the closer we get to the cross. And the fact remains that the birth of Jesus without the cross is meaningless. And so we celebrate the birth of Jesus because it's a demonstration of God's love uh, of Jesus leaving his his rich heavenly place and and becoming poor and becoming a man um, so that he could live the perfect life and live it for us. And and so we celebrate Christmas on that awesome gift that is ultimately fulfilled on the cross and through his resurrection. And so I, I think it's great that the way it's lined up. And so. Let us hear now the words of Scripture in Mark chapter 14. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial." And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you Would please join me in prayer. Oh, holy God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So here we we're near the end of the gospel of Mark. And and as Mark writes, he ends with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so in chapters 14, 15 and 16, what we are to have in mind and in full view is the coming death and resurrection of Jesus as everything begins to unfold in these final days and and so here Jesus has been he's he's been li- he's been staying in Bethany traveling into Jerusalem during the day during this Passover week and so he would be in Bethany travel into Jerusalem go back to Bethany at night and and so it tells us that after the day that he just got done Answering the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees and the scribes, all of their questions, and then on the Mount of Olives, giving a, a teaching of the final prophecy, he goes back to Bethany, where he's invited to Simon the leper's house for dinner. And it's and it's quite interesting that that they note Simon the leper in the New Testament. Uh, the name Simon is used ten different times, and. And in Josephus, who's a historian of first century Israel, use Simon over 20 times. And, And so Simon is a common name in Israel during this time. And so they note Simon as Simon the leper in Bethany, which means he would have been well known as the only Simon who was a leper. Now, Jesus and his disciples and others would only be gathered there if Simon is no longer a leper. For not only were lepers outcasts, there was the fear of of it being so contagious that they would contract it themselves. And so Simon is the former leper, and it has invited Jesus and his disciples and others to be there. And while he's reclined at table, I mean, just imagine Jesus is reclined at table. What a relaxed state of being that is. a, A woman, an unnamed woman here in the Gospel of Mark, comes to pour perfume on him. Now. This same story is also told in the Gospel of Matthew, but when we go read it, he doesn't give the woman a name either. Only in the Gospel of John do we find out in John chapter 12 that this unnamed woman is Mary. Mary, the the sister to Martha and to Lazarus, who also are are from Bethany, it turns out. And so they're all here at this dinner, And, and what a place it could be. I mean, imagine you have Jesus who is the Son of God, the Messiah. He's there. He's relaxed. He's at table, but also he's going to die in two days and then be resurrected, and and that's weighing on him. You have Lazarus, who's already been resurrected. Remember, Lazarus is the one, his dear friend, who was so sick, and, and Jesus waits before he travels, and then he weeps at his death because it's his dear friend, but he arrives so that the power of God may be made known and that Lazarus would be resurrected. And you have Mary and Martha, I mean, sisters who have already bickered in Scripture before because Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha was running around doing all the housework and Martha wasn't too keen on that. And then, and then you also have Simon, the leper, who used to be a leper. I, I mean, the interesting conversations you can have at a dinner party such as this is, is outstanding. What a fascinating place to be that evening. And, and, then, and then something extraordinary happens. Mary gets an alabaster flask of pure nard, which all of you know what pure nard is, right? Right. It's, still, it's, it's from India, and it's still used today for perfumes. And so pure nard means it was undiluted. And so they have an entire flask of undiluted pure nard from India, this wonderful perfume. And she breaks it open, not to just anoint Jesus with a drop or two, as as might be expected, but dumps the whole thing on his head. And in the Gospel of John, it says, And what was left over she used on his feet and washed his feet with her hair. And they were in shock. They were beside themselves. What a complete waste of pure nard. An entire flask of it. Did you know that's worth over 300 denarii? And and I know all of you have your denarii to dollars calculators out right now. I'm trying to figure out 300 denarii. So 300 denarii is, it would have been equivalent to a year's salary, almost $25,000 in American. Yeah, and, and that's the entire bottle gone. And, and, and they're like, what a what a waste. You could have sold it. You could have sold it got the money, and given it to the poor, it, as was the custom during the Passover festival, was to also care for the poor in an extravagant ways. He could have done that. And they begin scolding Mary. And this is Mary who, they also, who Martha scolded when Jesus was in their house earlier. Martha's doing all the work, running around, and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him, worshiping him. And Martha's scolding Mary and talking to Jesus. She's not even helping me. Jesus defends Mary, says she's chosen the better thing. And then, here, as they're scolding Mary for her lovely, extravagant sacrifice, Jesus defends Mary again. See, this alabaster flask of pure nard, it, it almost had to be a family heirloom of such for her to have possession of it, to be passed down for, for the sheer wealth that it held within itself. Maybe the most valuable possession she owned and her family owned, and, and she broke it wide open and poured it out all on Jesus And in doing so, exclaiming to the world, he is worth far more than the most valuable thing she has ever owned. And Jesus defends her. He defends her and it gets a bit confounding as he defends her because he says one of these statements that that causes our mind to come to a screeching halt when he says... um, For you always have the poor with you. And it seems to trouble us. And he says, whenever you want, you can do some good for them. He says, what she has done is a beautiful thing. And and what he indicates to us is, is we always have the opportunity to do some good for others within this world. But our first priority, our first priority, our first love is to be for Christ. To give him all that we are. For later in the New Testament, I, I believe it's, it's Paul who exclaims that, that without Christ in our lives, even the very best thing we could do is but a filthy rag. And, and, and so he says, come and worship first. Give all that you have. Be completely sacrificial in your worship to God. You will always have the poor to serve and you will always be able to serve them out of the abundance of love and grace he has given us. So he makes it a point. He says, Mary wasn't doing this for show. He knew her heart. And it's interesting because just earlier that day, he's in the temple and there's the widow who comes and gives her two pennies as an offering. And in both instances, these women made gigantic sacrifices because deep within their heart, God is worth sacrificing everything of this world for. And Jesus saw it. But it was the final straw for Judas. For Judas Iscariot, this was it. This was was too much. Judas, who who knew that it's worth 300 denarii, who knew what all it could do, saw it as completely wasteful. What a terrible thing to do to, to pour perfume on him, especially if he's dying in two days. And so he went to the chief priests and the scribes who were looking to find a way to arrest and kill Jesus and plotted with them so that he could receive payment for his work. And he thought he was doing it in secret, thought he was doing it in hiding. But the thing is, with Jesus, there's nothing we can ever do that's really done in secret and in hiding from him, is there? For what happens in the next scripture that we'll find out in a couple of weeks is that Jesus knows someone has betrayed him. He knows that they are gathered at the table there with him, just as he knew Mary's heart was filled with love in her worship for him as she poured out the sweet perfume all over him. But Judas tried to do in secret much what the chief priests and scribes were trying to do. It tells us in the beginning here of, of chapter 14, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth, by secret and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Because Jerusalem's filled with people. Jesus is wildly popular. He just held a parade days ago in which people are shouting Hosanna within the streets. Just a couple of chapters ago, they they wanted to arrest Jesus then, but the crowd was too large and they, they feared that the mob would get them and be able to release Jesus. And so there's this, this, there's this, Thoughtfulness that's trying to go into their plan. They they want to be able to get Jesus secretly and dispose of him secretly. But what matters through all of this is that God's timing and God's schedule and God's purpose in the midst of evil plans will prevail. And so we we remember that, that through all of this, that as we near to the cross, through all of this, through the plots of evil men, God is still in control. And When we read the totality of Scripture, we read that God is in control. It's almost as if there's a drama unfolding before us on these pages, and Jesus is the main character, and God is the director behind the scenes pulling the strings. And that while some of the actors tend to improvise, the purposes of God will not be thwarted. For it is the purpose of God since the very beginning to redeem and reconcile man to himself. For even before he he voiced one curse upon Adam and Eve, upon expelling them from the garden, he first promised redemption. He first promised that all would be made right. And so as as we're reading through this and and we're reading and seeing the plot of evil men wanting to come to fruition, it reminds me so much of Genesis and the story of Joseph. Who is to point to Christ. Joseph, who is to be done away with by his brothers because they're jealous of him. So they throw him in the pit. And they were going to dispose of him, but then they thought, oh, look, we could sell him as a slave and make money off of them." And he goes off to Egypt. And it wouldn't be until years later when Israel is in the midst of a famine that all of Israel comes to Egypt looking for safety, and there's Joseph. They're afraid of him. But at the end of chapter 50, it says, what they meant for evil, God used for good. And so what happens next is, is, it begins Exodus, and there's a new king of Egypt who didn't know Joseph after Joseph passes away. And it says the Israelites are becoming too great in number. There's too many of them, so we're going to enslave them and make them captives of ours. And that's how Israel becomes slaves within Egypt. And so there they are. They're now slaves within Egypt. And throughout Exodus, we hear the rising up of Moses as a leader, and he gets close to Pharaoh. And he's trying to tell Pharaoh and plead with him, let my people go. Let us go. God commands you to let us go. And, and he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it after plague one. He doesn't do it after plague two. He doesn't do it after plague three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine. Nine plagues, and he still won't let his people go. And then comes the 10th plague. The 10th plague is, is, the, is, is what we know as Passover. It's what the Jewish people know as Passover. For 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 this 10th plague, it, it would be that the Israelite families were to go and get a spotless lamb without blemish. Sacrifice it and take its blood and spread it over their door. And the plague would be that the spirit of the Lord would pass over those homes covered by the blood of this lamb. And that the homes without the blood over the door, the firstborn would be eliminated from those families. And there they were then delivered from captivity in Egypt and escaped across the Red Sea before wandering in the wilderness. But as they're wandering in the wilderness, it was God who set up the festival of Passover. He said, every year hold this festival as a festival of remembrance of the deliverance from captivity by God. So Passover is this great remembrance of salvation. Being delivered from the evilness within Egypt. And here Jesus is nearing Passover. Scripture says two days, which would be on that Friday at sundown, at the Sabbath, is when they would celebrate that Passover. They're celebrating the whole week, but that's when it comes. And so, in preparation of the Passover, what they do is at three o'clock on that Friday, they go to slaughter the lambs for the temple to be sacrificed in remembrance for the lambs that were slain in the blood that covered their families, that delivered them from captivity, that brought them salvation. And then what these men are preparing to do in secret, the evil they want to bring upon Jesus is used for the purposes of God because at three o'clock when Jesus takes His last breath is fully revealed and demonstrated to the entire world that Jesus is the true and ultimate Passover lamb sacrificed for your forgiveness. And when I came across that, I had to let you know. Because when it's revealed how God has remained faithful, how he has remained loving, how he has remained gracious to us, it stirs our heart and leads us to worship like Mary. Amen.